1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. It's the beginning of the week, so this is our spy show that Mark Polymeropoulos and I uh, do. How are you doing this morning, Mark?
2: I'm doing well. I'm actually back in Northern Virginia after all of my travels, as you all have uh, have certainly documented my what running around to Metallica concerts and other such things, but uh, I'm back in town and I will be going to my favorite place on the planet after this podcast, which is what?
1: um i don't know mark Uh, what's your favorite place on the planet i thought it was fenway park but go on
2: it's the vienna inn the greatest dive bar and of course the headquarters of the deep state
1: yeah it is the headquarters of the deep state and it's known for its really really terrible food and bad ambience but uh not to mention its dubious clientele which is why you love it so much right exactly right. Uh we are joined today um by Mark Zaid who is a national security attorney in Washington uh who has led the way for uh many uh of the whistleblowers who have made such a difference in our recent past uh also full disclosure he has been the attorney of Mark Polymaropoulos. Uh Mark Zaid, welcome. How are you?
3: I am well. I appreciate being on the podcast, I like the Vienna Inn as well. It's it's not Nick Tahoe's in Rochester, New York, for my garbage plate. But
1: look, I'm from New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey, as is Palmyropolis. So I don't really understand this. Where we actually know what a good diner is. In fact, Jersey, my it should change what it says at the bottom of the license plate from the Garden State to the Diner State. It would be a lot more accurate. Um, uh, but uh, mark Pomeropoulos, tell us a little bit how um uh, mark Zaid represented you just so we understand the relationship and then we can forge ahead
2: sure so you know mark has been uh, frankly uh, quite incredible for me i will embarrass him um uh, by what i say but you know i was i was uh, injured in moscow in december 2017 and started quite a a battle with cia for for healthcare and mark um represented me uh, uh, particularly in a lot of um, back and forth with the agency, and I'll and I'll just say that you know ultimately I did get to uh, Walter Reed's traumatic brain injury um, uh, center, and I would not have been there without Mark. And when I say I credit him for for really potentially saving my life, I I I mean that, and I, that's that's not something that should be taken lightly. So great person, great human being, hell of a lawyer, um, and it's a pleasure to have him on today.
1: That's a very moving story. I don't know how we're going to top that, but. I also know Mark because he helped me um, with my last uh, book, which which talked about the various forces and people in Washington that tried to hold Donald Trump in check when the presidency was coming off the tracks. Let me start with that, um, Mark. Um, Donald Trump has said if he gets into office, he's going to fire, you know, all, you know, all the civil servants. Um, he's going to appoint people who are loyalists to him. We've already seen how some of the checks in our system have broken down, whether it's a corrupted Supreme Court or whether it's, um, you know, Republicans in the Senate and the House who simply vote party line issues on, 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 on big questions when they should be voting national interests in the Constitution. But essentially, I think one of the goals of Donald Trump and others like him, like Ron DeSantis, is to get rid of whistleblowers, is to get rid of the ability of people to say, no, I put the Constitution first. Do you worry about that? Do you think they're serious? Could that actually happen?
3: I I do worry about it. And and I if Trump particularly were elected, I, I do think that's what we have in store. I think it'll be different if it's DeSantis or one of the others who are more of a still career politician, though one may have serious disagreement with some of their policy views. Uh, I don't. I don't think we're going to see a, a systematic dismantling of the system where a normal extreme politician go into power. You know, during the first Trump administration. There were many people who who I've known for years who were senior, uh, who I disagreed with politically, like John Bolton, who was just too, and that's not a Democrat, Republican, liberal conservative issue because I'm none of those.'m I'm, I'm really down the middle, although I guess everybody says that, but I'm a registered independent, always have been, represents both sides. Uh, and uh, you know John Bolton was an incredibly conservative, still is conservative. Uh, individual who had senior roles in the in different administrations over the years. I get, first met him back in 1992. Uh, I mean, he's like liberal now compared to what the, the MAGA folks are, which is quite scary. But if you look at people like H.R. McMasters, as the National Security Council, Mark Esper as the Secretary of Defense, um, any number of others who were inside the NSC, all of whom were clients of mine at some point in time in this Trump administration, they were still still careerists. They made sure that Donald Trump didn't step over the line too much. He peered over the line, but they would pull him back. That is not going to happen in a second Trump administration. There will not be qualified people inside the senior level positions—they may be smart people because intellectual power or capability is not necessarily tied to your moral, uh, you know, th- theatrics or or perception. But you're going to have people who, to use your question specifically, who are going to say whistleblowers shouldn't be allowed at all. Uh, here, per executive order, I am dismantling the existing system; it is null and void. While this administration is in power, and we have free reign to fire anybody at will, regardless of what the reasoning might be. Uh, I I am incredibly concerned for all of us, uh, and so many others that there there really could be a an an honest and and I don't say honest in a truthful way, an an honest to goodness, deep state the way that term actually is supposed to be used, not the way it has been used in in the MAGA world, but the actual government that operates uh, in the shadows, uh, you know, like the Stasi, uh, like the Gestapo, uh, although I think in a Trump administration, though I'm not saying that they would kill people, uh, but I think they would operate actually quite openly. In in the streets, and I think a lot of people, um, including perhaps myself, may may actually find themselves in jail. And uh, I don't say that lightly. I think that's actually a possibility. Um, That's
1: very very chilling.
3: Well, you know, David, you started me off down this path. It's your fault in many ways because when when you interviewed me like two years ago, uh, right after Biden, it was a few months after Biden had been elected, and you were working on your book. And you asked me how I felt. And I said, you know what? I'm really relaxed. This is the first time I've been relaxed in four years. I don't have to watch the news 24 seven. I don't have to be concerned about what the president of the United States might have said about me today or his sycophants around him. And you said something to the effect of, well, you know, what if it's just a lull? And you really got me thinking, especially about history. Where you think back to periods of time where, yeah, wow, after that bad event, things were actually pretty good for a bunch of years, unsuspecting for those people who were living at the time, what the next day actually entailed for them. And so I got a little bit more nervous, thanks to you. appreciate that. Thank you very much. Well, don't mention it.
1: Don't mention it. As as Mark Palmaropoulos knows, I can find the cloud around every silver lining. Uh, I, you know, growing up in uh, suburban New Jersey, my father nicknamed me Eeyore, and I actually had an Eeyore in my bedroom, which is kind of embarrassing, but it's true. Um, And uh, so uh, that's kind of my specialty. Uh, However, Mark Palmaropoulos, as you know, is known as Mr. Sunshine. So I'm sure he's got something much more uplifting.
2: Not at all, actually. You know, I'm I'm very worried about this. Um, I'm going to do some writing on this. Uh, uh, Shortly, you know, there was a New York Times piece I think a couple weeks ago that talked about what the second Trump administration um, would be, and and the thing is that Trump and all of his sick fans—they're not hiding anything; they're making this very clear. Um, You know, when we took an oath, when I took an oath in 1993 uh, at CIA headquarters on January 3rd, it was to the Constitution. You know, it was not to a single uh, individual, but. There are going to be these kind of political loyalty tests, and and you know they've done this before. There was an Axios report because I have to I have to obviously source this very clearly to press an Axios report a couple of years ago that even during the Trump term, as there as the as the transition was going on, um, they put together a list of CIA officers that they wanted to purge. So this is nothing new, and so you know, and this is disturbing for so many reasons. Number one, obviously, we have to be able to as a as a national security official, you have to tell truth. To power. Remember, again, reportedly, I think this was Bob Woodward in several uh, uh, of his appearances in his book, he talked about how Trump wanted to assassinate Syrian President Bashar al-Assad and and, uh, Secretary of Defense Mattis, you know, basically ignored that directive um, because it's illegal. So, you know, Mark Zaid makes a very good point. Are you going to have people in in those positions who are actually going to do that? Last point on this, where I think it's really dangerous, and this goes to my old job in terms of foreign intelligence relationships, I can assure you that if uh, Trump comes back into power, our allies will not share anything regarding, for example, Russia. And our liaison partnerships are critical. You know, we, we uh, obtain, uh, uh, you know, incredibly important counterintelligence information, uh, you know, what, what Putin is going to do, policy information um, from, our, from our friends, you know, the British and the French and others. They will shut this down. If they think that it's a politicized uh, uh, CIA, so I, I really share in this, uh, uh, in this, in this concern. And again, they're not, they're not hiding it. And, and I wish, uh, you know, at least maybe this is a pipe dream, but uh, other Republican candidates would talk about things like this because it is so wildly out of the norm.
3: But the problem yeah. is, you know, assassination is not, it's not pro, it's not illegal. It's prohibited.
2: It's Under-exec- prohibited
3: by Executive Order Twelve Triple Three that Ronald Reagan put in place. Now, murder is obviously illegal, but there's there's also Department of Justice legal opinions that if we are operating overseas, that that action can be legal under U.S. law. But if we assassinated somebody in Syria, it would be illegal under Syrian law, but it wouldn't necessarily be illegal under U.S. law, especially if it's a sanctioned operation. There may be, obviously, and would be consequences. But Donald Trump could issue a new executive order that... Permits foreign assassinations and you know not a hell of a lot people can do about it other than some really bad options that it's uncomfortable to even talk about instead.
1: right and by the way it could be a secret it could be a secret executive order nobody could know about. sure yeah um,
3: absolutely
1: right right and and by the and i would i'd like to add before i can move, move on to the next question i uh, just to clarify mark uh polis, you are not a huge Bashar al-Assad fan, correct
2: <laughs> no, I'm not at all, but Bashar al-Assad is a war criminal who deserves uh, 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 it, you know to be to be um, uh, sanctioned and you know tried by uh, international criminal court at some point and probably will never happen, but one of the the great war criminals of our time, but we can't and we do not assassinate foreign leaders
1: well, um, we, and so that- we, right we don't we do not we have. But we've tried, to, we've tried to break the habit. Um, let, me, let me ask another question. It's a little more tied to the, to the news of the morning. Um, according to my screen, and this is, of course, as we are recording this, 29 minutes before we recorded this, Mark Zaid tweeted about a uh, Donald Trump tweet. Um, Donald Trump tweeted out something about the former lieutenant governor of Georgia, Jeff Duncan, who is, um, uh, we are led to believe, going to be testifying before the Fulton County Grand Jury tomorrow on Tuesday. Um, uh, this may be precedent to uh, uh, the Fulton County Grand Jury Um uh, indicting Trump and others around him on RICO charges, uh, having to do with the effort to steal the election in Georgia. Um, and so Trump writes a nasty thing about this guy. So Mark's, uh, uh tweet said directly against federal court orders, admonition given Duncan is a witness in the January 6th, DC proceeding expect his lawyers to be brought on the hot seat on the hot seat soon at some point that individual straw will be placed on the camel's back um when i saw this tweet from trump my first reaction was Gee, i wonder if that guy was a witness in the january 6th um case in which case he would be violating chutkin's order which of course pertains to chutkin's case uh, do we know actually that he was doing that? And what is the bigger implication of this since Trump has spent the past uh, 48 hours um, hurling invective at her, at Fannie Willis, at the Fulton County grand jury, you know, where he's sort of directly pleading to them in one of his tweets? Uh, so, first, do you know that he's actually a witness? And secondly, um, what do you think of what he's doing?
3: So, the Georgia allegations, in fact, all of the state allegations, Michigan, Nevada, Arizona, all of these incidents where fake electors were manufactured or uh, allegations of efforts to overturn that state's votes or uh, electoral decisions are part of the January 6th federal case. So while we don't know per se from the federal government whether Duncan is a witness, if he's a witness in the Georgia case state-wise, he's, he's a witness in the federal case because it's the same set of facts. So the the fact that he's truth-socialing whatever one calls the, the messages out on that platform uh, to what he believes is a witness in the state proceeding doesn't mean he's not actually reaching out to those in the federal proceeding. Uh, so I, I, it's just a matter of time. And I don't think anybody really is going to be shocked at this, that, that Donald Trump is not going to be able to abide by any strict orders that come from any of the judges in, in any of the proceedings, uh, whether they be civil or criminal. Uh, and he's going to get into a lot of trouble and it's going to be very interesting to watch where that line is for some of these judges because it's it's not it's not clear cut. It's not like in if one of my clients uh, did something like that, it, I wouldn't expect immediate repercussions or I wouldn't expect to be sanctioned as the lawyer. The reality is because of the nature of who the defendant is in this case, the judges are going to have to act carefully because there's other factors at play now there's still going to be a line where he crosses and just where that line is you know will probably depend on either how often he does it or how seriously uh, a, a particular message is uh whether directed at the judge or is viewed in such a way as to be inciting violence against a particular witness. You know, something like that is is going to uh, be probably the threshold test. I think the judges will be very uh, thick skinned when it comes to uh, personal attacks on them. Uh, but at some point in time, again, that's why I said the straw, right? It's just a single straw that that breaks the camel's back. Uh, you know, that that straw itself could be very light, but if it hits that that threshold limit, the the camel collapses. So uh, we're and and it's just going to be a matter of time. You know wh- when that will be, who knows? But it it will be just a matter of time.
2: Mark, uh, give us a sense of uh, now. Now, assuming that we have another indictment um, this week, uh, that will be four. Which give us a sense of which do you think is the is the first is the strongest uh, legal legally, and then. And then number two is how do they um, uh, balance kind of the time constraints here? Um, you know, who goes first, who goes where, and will uh, the various uh, uh, parties actually discuss this, um, uh, 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 the prosecute, you know, the prosecutors discuss this
3: uh, amongst themselves? Right. So if, if you take each of the cases, let's assume Georgia gets filed. If you take each of them and you view them in a vacuum, meaning just looking at what is, going, what is the strongest case factually and legally without factoring in all the problems that associate with it? So, for example, the classified documents case in Florida, in my view, is the strongest of the cases, factually, legally. There, there is no factual defense that will survive or enable Donald Trump to avoid conviction. Uh, That is because it is all straightforward. The documents were retrieved from his home and other locations, and they will be deemed to have been properly classified. Uh, You only need one of them. Uh, We can even stay away from the obstruction of justice issues, which could be factual in nature, and maybe some, some theory could be devised. But I've worked on Espionage Act cases as the defense lawyer, as well as been threatened with prosecution under the Espionage Act by, by the CIA any number of times as a, as a tactic that they do uh, to, to many of us. And very few of these cases go to trial. They don't go to trial because the person pleads. Because the only real defense to an Espionage Act case, when it's a mishandling case, we're not talking about actual spies, uh, which you guys know, but the public, when they hear Espionage Act, they're like, well, but he wasn't a spy for Russia or Cuba or China. No, But yeah, that's another part of the Espionage Act. You can just mishandle classified information, uh, store it without authorization, disseminate it without authorization. and And be subject to its penalties. So those cases all plead because the only defense is to say no, I didn't do it. No, I didn't give that reporter for whatever publication that information. Well that doesn't exist here. We saw all the boxes get trucked out of Mar-a-Lago. We saw the photos of the boxes in his shower, the the documents on the floor which obviously he some of them he spilled Trump and his people or not necessarily Trump per se, we don't know, but the FBI put out on the floor to document what was in those boxes. Now, that case though has lots of issues potentially in the pre-trial phase that deal with who gets access to the classified information. Could there be gray mail in the sense of trying to subtly blackmail the government that if you proceed, we are going to reveal as part of our defense information X, Y, and Z, and the executive branch doesn't want that. And if Judge Cannon, as the district court judge who has ultimate authority, discretionary authority of how the trial proceeds, says, nope, I find that information to be factually relevant, then the U.S. government has to make a choice to either dismiss the case or proceed with jeopardizing disclosure of whatever that information might be. The information in the document about Iran that he allegedly held up in Bedminster, New Jersey, uh, which has been added to to these charges in Mar-a-Lago, so that is the easiest case, other than the procedural hurdles. Then, I think the January sixth case is the most important for our democracy, given what the allegations are with respect to essentially a sitting president of the United States trying to engage in a coup to overturn a lawful. Election, the, but it, it and that one is more complicated, I think, factually, because there's a lot of players involved, a lot of die. There's eleven and a half million documents that the government wants to turn over, in initially without a fight. Here you go, Donald Trump and legal team, look at all of this. Uh, but what it stands for is far more important. And mishandling, as, as Mark and Mark knows well, I mean, that's serious stuff, mishandling classified information. But I'll also say it happens all the time. Um, it's just, and it's usually not criminally prosecuted because people have classified documents in their garage and they lose their security clearance when they admit that, oh my God, I found a box. I didn't realize I had it there. It had never been jeopardized, never been disclosed, never been compromised. Uh, so they lose their clearance. But they don't get prosecuted. It's rare, but it happens. The state cases, I don't like to be honest. I, I really don't like. I I think they look far more political in nature. Uh, the New York case when when Bragg brought it, it wasn't anything new from what could have been brought two years earlier. So it looked like it was political. The Georgia case, the prosecutor has been given media interview after media interview. Has taken a long time for this case. The case has already been charged federally. That doesn't mean that Georgia, as a state, as a county, cannot bring the charges. They can or it can, but that is a factor to consider going back to your question mark about, yes, you know, the prosecutors, even the judges can coordinate to figure out what makes the most sense because even Donald Trump cannot be in four places at the same time. He has different lawyers in each place, although I'm sure there's some overlap. But scheduling is going to have to be really difficult. And credit to Alvin Bragg with saying, hey, you know, my trial, which was the first, was scheduled or is scheduled for March. I'm willing to give my time up to the other cases if the federal government believes that makes sense uh, and you want to use that time period. Because reality is we want to get these tried and ended before the election. Uh, because it has an impact on the voters, not, be, and not because it does have an impact, but because that is something voters should be able to understand as to whether or not a individual running for president has been convicted of certain crimes. Now, the federal cases, if he wins, he can make go away, whether he pardons himself, which we have no idea if that can happen, but why not? Go ahead. Give it a shot. You know, he will. Uh, or he can just tell the Justice Department to stand down. And don't pursue me any further. He can't do that in New York. He can't do that in Georgia. In fact, in Georgia, their laws are really strict. You have to serve five years of your sentence. uh, And as I understand it, you have to file an application for a pardon. And even the Georgian governor, which obviously is Republican at this stage, can't issue it. So if Trump is indicted and convicted in New York or Georgia. That's a big problem for him, even if he wins. That's on that's on paper. Though, can you imagine, David, this goes well into, you know, where, where your book, so this is a sequel for you. Could you imagine a sitting president of the United States having been convicted in a state court? Okay, what next, people? Really? What are you going to do? You're going to send the National Guard of that state up to retrieve the president To put him in jail or what? You're going to say, okay, we're going to wait until he's out of office when he's now almost, you know, in his mid 80s to serve time. It's an untenable situation. So really, we're the next 16 months are going to be make it or break it for where our country is is going, at least with respect to Donald Trump and all of these legal cases. So. Uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah,
1: and by by the way, I would I would add that these are not all the legal cases because there could be a case in Michigan, there could be a case in Arizona, yep. um, uh, and uh, Donald Trump has been known in the past to seek to obstruct justice and 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 meddle, and he could create other cases along the way. So looks like seven but it's seven and counting uh and i'm including the civil cases in that so uh, are there a couple yeah, of others
3: one of mine against him for police uh, capital police officer brian sicknick and in fact his lawyers trump's lawyers have have asked us whether or not we would agree to stay the case pending his january 6 federal case to which i immediately said no
1: yeah, that's that yeah well, I'm not an attorney, but that sounds like the appropriate response. Uh, uh, we have a couple of other big questions to ask, uh, including I have one for for Mark Polymeropoulos, picking up on what Mark Zade just said. But this is where we take a break in the show. So I'm going to say to all of you who are not members, you're going to miss the answers to those big questions if you are not a member. So go become a member. Go to the DSRnetwork.com, Click on Membership. It's $5 a month. It's like a latte a month, I'm told. I've never had a cup of coffee, but I'm told that that's what it's like. And um, uh, and then you get all this bonus content, about 33% more Deep State Radio on all of our podcasts, uh, which are now uh, daily and in some cases more than daily. Um, so go join up if you're not a member. If you are a member, stand by